Romans 15, and I want to begin reading in verse 14. Paul writes to the church in Rome, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. These words that I've just read to you, as I mentioned a moment ago, were written by the great, the greatest missionary, actually, the Apostle Paul. There's no disputing that Paul was the greatest missionary who ever lived. We see a glimpse of that even there in verse 19 when he says, from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now that's a span of coastline, if you can picture it in your mind, dotted with dozens of important cities in which, in which Paul preached and planted churches, stretching from Israel in the southeast up through Lebanon and Syria, across the modern giant Turkey, and then across the water to Greece and up the coast into modern-day Albania and perhaps as far as what we call Serbia and Bosnia and Croatia. There was no missionary who ever pushed the gospel out to as many places as the apostle Paul did. He said, I have fully preached the gospel from Jerusalem roundabout all the way to Illyricum. And all this in the days before planes and trains and automobiles. And yet, having done all of that, having succeeded in all those places as a missionary, we find in this letter to the church at Rome that Paul was not yet finished. One reason he wrote this letter to the church in Rome, he admits down in verse 24, is because he was planning yet another missionary tour, this time all the way out to the edge of the continent in Spain. And as he also admits, he was hoping that the church in Rome, on his way there, might do for him the very things that we are doing for our missionaries with the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. He was hoping, verse 24, that they would help him on his way to Spain with prayer and with monetary support. So the epistle to the Romans is, in many ways, a missionary support letter. 
It's much more than that, of course, because it gives us the greatest gospel tract ever written, doesn't it? So often when we're trying to share the gospel with friends or family, we find ourselves quoting Paul's letter to the Romans. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. All these famous gospel bullet points that we know come from this, Paul's great gospel leaflet to the epistle or to the church in Rome. But what I'm saying to you is that part of the reason he wrote this leaflet is because he wanted the Roman church to support him in his mission to Spain. And in asking them for his support, for their support, he wanted them to know what kind of missionary they'd be supporting. He wanted them to know what exactly it was that he'd been preaching from Jerusalem roundabout to Illyricum and what it was that he would be preaching when he got to Spain. This book is, in many ways, an extended missionary prayer letter, an introduction to the Apostle Paul, and even more so to the gospel that he preached as he traveled the world. And that gospel, of course, forms the real backbone and provides the more majority of the content of the letter. But in the midst of the letter that's mainly concerned with the content of the gospel, and particularly here in chapter 15, we get not only a glimpse of the gospel that Paul preached, but we also get a glimpse here of the missionary heartbeat of the man who preached it. And that's where I want to focus your attention for the next half hour or so, on Paul's missionary heartbeat as we listen to it there in verse 20. I aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named. I aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named. That's what made Paul tick. And as he traveled all those long distances on foot and by sail, that's what kept him going. And this is what keeps every true missionary going. This is what makes every true missionary tick, an aspiration to preach the gospel and to do so not where Christ has already been named. In fact, I don't think it's a stretch to say that in some ways this is actually the definition of a missionary. Someone says to you, it's missions week at your church. What is a missionary, actually? You can say to them that a missionary is someone who aspires to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. And that's the subject matter that I want to bring before you this morning, the missionary heartbeat. And let me not beat around the bush or make any pretense about what my goals are this morning in bringing this passage and this subject to your attention. It's the same every year on these first two Sundays of December, isn't it? This morning I'm preaching because I want some of you to do exactly what Paul did in days of old. I want some of you to leave your Jerusalem and go and preach Christ where he's not yet been named. Where, verse 21, they have yet had no news of him. That's my hope this morning, that some adults from this congregation, whether short-term or long would go and preach Christ where he's not been named, and that some of you children will grow up aspiring, like Paul, to move across seas and to tell people who haven't yet heard about Jesus. My other 
two big aims are that the rest of you who are not called to go will pray like crazy for those who do and will give generously, liberally, lavishly to speed them on their way, beginning with this week of prayer for international missions and this month's Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Those are my unfeigned, unapologetic goals for these next two sermons, that some of us will go with the gospel where Christ has not yet been named, that all of us will pray for those who do, and that all of us will give to those who do and do it generously. But if you are to go, you need to have a clear picture in your mind as to what sort of man or woman you ought to be, what a missionary's heartbeat really looks like. And we have that here in verse 20. And if you're to pray like crazy and give lavishly to those who go, you need to know just what Paul wanted the Christians at Rome to know. Namely, what sort of person am I giving this support to? In fact, I believe that if we can get a glimpse this morning of the heartbeats of the kind of men and women who do what Paul did, the kind of men and women we are sending to the ends of the earth, we'll not only feel comfortable supporting them, we will be eager to do it. And I think we see those heartbeats clearly, as I said, here in Romans fifteen twenty. So what is the definition of a missionary? What kind of person am I urging some of you to become and the rest of you to support? What is the missionary heartbeat? Well, let's take Paul's self-description there and dissect it just a bit. He says... I aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named. And there are four things that we need to notice in what Paul says there. The first is that Paul says, I aspired to preach the gospel. I aspired to preach the gospel. Paul had a holy aspiration, an ambition, one translation puts it, to do something for God. He had been marvelously saved by a dramatic intervention of Jesus, hadn't he? Knocked from his high horse, made to see his blasphemy and his anger and the error of his ways and the stench that he was in God's nostrils, brought to repentance and wonderfully, mercifully pardoned by the blood of Christ. All in the past, and in some ways Paul never got over those things. In some ways he never moved past what Jesus had done for him, and he was constantly retelling his amazing conversion story in the book of Acts and in his epistles. God had done amazing things in Paul's life. But here was the thing about Paul. Marvelous as his conversion experience had been, he wasn't content to simply bask in the glow of the past for the rest of his life. Paul was not content with having been miraculously saved himself. He aspired, he had an ambition to do something for the God who'd saved him. He had a desire and an ambition to bring others to Christ as well. If we can put it this way, it seems that Paul was blessed with a holy discontentment. He could have stayed in Damascus where he first knew the Lord, where Ananias That wonderful man had welcomed him and prayed for him and the other believers had made him feel at home. He could have stayed there and been content simply to have left his former life of sin, to have found forgiveness in Christ, to have joined the family of God and begun a whole new and more peaceful way of living. 
But there was something in Paul's spiritual DNA that wouldn't allow him just to settle in, that wouldn't rest content with the blessings of his own personal redemption. He wanted to get out and do something for God. He wanted to preach and see others come to know this Jesus who'd saved him. And he did that beginning in Damascus and extending his ministry, as we've read, to the ends of the known world. I aspired, he said. I had a holy ambition to do something for God. And I suggest to you that it is this same holy ambition, it is this same godly discontentment that fuels every missionary who's worthy of the name. A missionary is someone who cannot get those unreached peoples out of his or her mind. A missionary is someone who cannot just live a, quote, normal life. A missionary is someone who eventually can't stay in Jerusalem any longer, but they have to find their way to Illyricum or to Spain or to China or to the Navajo or wherever it may be. That's the first thing that we must say about the missionary heartbeat. The missionary cannot rest on his laurels or even on his own salvation. He aspires. He has a holy ambition. He is, in a sense, restless to do something for the fame of Jesus. And I wonder if there's anybody in this room this morning who senses that restlessness, that welling up of a holy aspiration. That's the first sign, the first beat of the missionary's heart, to be able to say with Paul, I aspired. But what does this missionary aspire to do? Well, listen again to the Apostle Paul. I aspired, he says, to preach. I aspired to preach. Now I want you to hear carefully what I'm about to say and hear all of it. There are many things besides preaching that God's people ought to be doing, both at home and abroad. Each of us, for instance, ought to be involved in things like rescuing the unborn or sheltering the homeless or ending sex trafficking or feeding the hungry or persuading the government to legislate in a godly way providing medical care in the third world, and so on. All of these things are part and parcel of our filling the great commandment, namely to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Christmas time, I might add, is a wonderful time to support Christian work and workers who are doing these very things. But Paul's calling and the missionary heartbeat is something even more than those good things. I don't say that it's different from those things because missionaries are often involved just like regular average Christians like us in doing all sorts of good in the world. But the missionary heartbeat involves more than just meeting temporal needs. Important, valuable, necessary, admirable as that is. I aspired, Paul says, to preach. Not simply to make people whole in this life, but also to tell them of one who can make them whole for eternity. To tell them. That's the missionary heartbeat. That was Paul's great calling. Not mainly to do humanitarian work, which he and nearly all missionaries do happily engage in, but in addition to that and beyond that and more eternally significant and critical than that, Paul aspired to speak, to tell, to preach. Perhaps I'm stating the obvious here, but sometimes we need to restate the obvious. When we talk about missions and missionaries, 
when we consider sending them and supporting them and praying for them, the biggest thing that we're sending them to do and praying that they'll do and supporting them to do is to preach, to speak of Jesus, to tell the good news. And if any of us should wonder if perhaps God is calling us to Illyricum or Spain or Brazil or Central Asia, we must have it clear in our minds that to be a missionary is to preach. People cannot be right with God. People will not glorify his name as they should. People cannot live with him eternally unless we tell them of Christ. All the temporal ministry in the world cannot save the soul. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So the call to missions and the heartbeat of a missionary is to be able to say with Paul, I aspired to preach. Now let me remind you that preaching doesn't always occur in a pulpit. Sometimes preaching can occur across the table in a classroom in China as some young man teaches English to his Chinese friend using the New Testament as his textbook. Sometimes preaching occurs in an African AIDS orphanage as Christian couples move there to care for those children and read the scriptures to them morning and night. Sometimes it occurs in a Christian school in the classroom where the teacher alongside algebra is teaching them about the one who makes algebra work and about his son who came into the world when our tallies have all come up short. Preaching occurs perhaps in a safe house in Bangkok during an afternoon Bible study where an American woman counsels and nurses back to health teenage girls who've been kidnapped and sold as prostitutes. All of that is preaching. And so you see, incidentally, that loving our neighbor in practical, temporal ways is part of missions because it often opens the door for the missionary to preach, for the missionary to speak of Jesus and his love. And at the end of the day, that's why he or she has left home. That's why he or she has gone to China or to Bangkok or to Africa or wherever it may be to tell the women in Bangkok or the orphans in Addis Ababa or the students in Qingdao that God himself loves them and has come into the world to do them good in ways far more significant than I, the missionary, could ever do. I aspire to preach, Paul says, to tell others of Christ. And we must never forget that this is what missions is really all about. That's what I loved about the missions video that we watched just a few moments ago. This man in the video, Dr. Page, they called him. He's not a preacher by trade, is he? He's a physician, a thoracic surgeon. And the place to which God has called him desperately needs doctors, as we saw. Probably more than any of us could ever fully realize. They need doctors. And so Dr. Page, with his medical training, is filling a vital role. But did you hear what he said about what keeps him in that dark, dangerous, depressing place? Not mainly the medical needs of the people, important as they are, but their spiritual needs. The people of Central Asia are perishing in ways far more significant than physical death. And that medical team realizes that. Listen again as I read to you what the doctor said about himself and his fellow Christian doctors. If this little team wasn't here... 
There wouldn't be any evangelical witness, any gospel witness here. It's very dark. But there is one little, little, little candlelight. So I feel responsible to stay here and to keep that burning. I stay, Dr. Page says, because of the evangelical witness, the gospel witness that I get to be. Because of the opportunities to speak for Jesus by these bedside to these people and to minister to their souls as well as their bodies. And that's the missionary heartbeat. Dr. Page is not a preacher by trade, but by the calling of God. The most important thing to him in his ministry are all the opportunities he gets by those sick beds to preach, to speak for Jesus. And it was the same with the Apostle Paul. He was able to heal human bodies in ways that modern physicians would salivate over. But Paul summarized his ministry not in those terms, but in this way. I aspired to preach. And then he says, I aspired to preach the gospel. I aspired to preach the gospel. Now again, at the risk of stating the obvious, I feel compelled to remind you that the message that we must carry to the nations is not, you know, with a little education and a little refining and a little rubbing off from us missionaries, you people could be a lot like us. Now, that doesn't sound like what we would ever want to say, but that's sometimes the subconscious assumption that we make about what missionaries are doing. They're civilizing the savages. They're instilling culture and morality into them so that they'll look and talk a lot like we American Christians do, as though that were necessarily a good thing. But that's emphatically not what missions and missionaries are all about. We're not merely trying to educate people or make people more civil. In many of the places that missionaries go, those people may actually be ahead of us in that department. Neither is our aim to recruit more people for our cause or to increase our influence or our particular denominational brand of Christianity. Nor are we going to the ends of the earth with a list of rules for people to obey, which if you all will just put these things in place in your lives, then God will be happy with you. No. Paul says he aspired to preach, not morality, not civility, not culture, but The gospel, and the word gospel by its very Greek New Testament definition means news. News. The gospel is not a list of things to do. It's not a template for a certain kind of behavior. It's not merely a good example set by the missionaries. It doesn't have anything to do really with what you do or what the missionary does. It's a proclamation of news, something that has happened outside of you and for you. News, and it's good news, isn't it? What is that news? Well, that's what Paul spends so much time in Romans talking about, isn't it? Romans 1 reminds us that part of the news is that both creation and conscience clearly demonstrate that there is a maker, a sovereign of the universe. There is a God. For chapter 1, verse 20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his divine power, Uh, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. That is the news, that there is indeed a God, and that we all deep down know that He's there and that we are accountable to Him. But there's more to the news, isn't there? Namely, that Paul goes on to say in chapter 3 that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of this God, and that we're condemned because of it. 
And that's news that the missionary must announce as well. That even though we know that there's a God, we haven't honored him as we should, and that the wages of sin, chapter 6, verse 23, is death. But that's not all that Romans 6.23 says, is it? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And what a wonderful privilege it is to be able to preach that little word, but. We all deserve to die in our sins, the missionary proclaims, but God has made a way through Jesus Christ that we may live. And he goes on then to explain how Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin so that he actually is God come down in the flesh. And how for all of the 33 years of his life on this earth, Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were sick and how he was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And then the missionary says, The amazing thing is, wonderful, sinless Jesus, good as he is, because he had no sins of his own for which he must die. Remember, the wages of sin is death. Well, Jesus had no sin. He didn't have to die. And so he was able to come into this world and stand in our place at the bar of God's justice and die in our stead. And that's what happened on the day that he went to the cross. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But on the third day, the missionary goes on to explain, he rose from the dead. And if you will repent of your sins and entrust yourself to this Jesus as your only hope of mercy and forgiveness in life, you will be forgiven of your sins and you too will rise from the dead. Both to a new spiritual life here and now and physically someday when Jesus returns to this world. This is the news that Paul explains in his letter to the church at Rome. This is what he was preaching from Jerusalem roundabout to Illyricum. This is what he wanted to say to the Spaniards. And all of this is what he means when he says that his great missionary task was to preach the gospel. The news of God and sin and Christ and redemption through faith in his name that I've just spoken to you. That is the gospel. That is what Paul preached. That's what the missionaries preached. And it's wonderful news, isn't it? It's the best news in the world that God has come into this sin-sick world and that he has done for us what we can never do for ourselves and he's done it at the cost of the blood of his own son. No wonder Paul was so eager to preach that. I aspired to preach, Paul says, not cultural change, not religious mores, not even morality, first of all, but I aspired to preach Christ and him crucified, to preach the gospel. This news was too good for Paul to keep to himself. And that's how we hope our missionaries will feel, isn't it? That the news of Christ would be too good for them to keep to themselves. That it would be their passion to preach this magnificent news that grants release to the captives and recovery of sight to the spiritual blind. And that's why they need our prayers. That this wonderful gospel would never become old hat to them. Would never cease to be amazing to them. That they wouldn't get to the field and think, you know, these people are so bad, they need morality before we can give them the gospel. No, we must pray that this word would always be what they share, Christ and Him crucified. If they were to go to Afghanistan or Finland or Guatemala or wherever it may be, proclaiming, you know, if you'll just obey these certain rules and principles, then all will be well with you, that would be bad news, wouldn't it? Because the people in those places can't do it. 
And neither can the missionaries. And neither can you. And neither can I. That's why we need a Savior. We need good news. Not just an encouragement to good behavior. And we have good news in the gospel. And so Paul, in his heart, just found it beating to preach good news. And this is the heartbeat of every Christian missionary. I aspired to preach good news. I aspired to preach the gospel. Now let me point something out to you before we go to our fourth and final point. Namely, that as we've pieced together our definition of a missionary, it seems to me that everything we've said so far ought to be true not only of every missionary, but of every Christian. Shouldn't we all aspire to do something for God? Shouldn't we all be discontent simply to be saved ourselves, but desirous rather of bringing as many people as possible with us to heaven? And therefore, shouldn't we all in our own ways, with our own opportunities, desire to preach? We won't all be preachers. We won't all stand in this place. But shouldn't we all have a stirring in our bellies to speak, to tell others about Jesus? And shouldn't every Christian, when we speak, speak good news and not merely tell people to get in church and clean up their acts? And shouldn't we all be familiar enough with this good news that Paul calls the gospel that we'd be able to share it clear-headedly and straightforwardly with other people? You see what I'm getting at? I'm not letting you off the hook this morning if you don't think God has called you to Swaziland or Patagonia or wherever. He may not be calling you there, but don't you desire to see people saved here? Don't you want to speak for Jesus at work? Don't you want your neighbors to be saved Don't you want Jesus to get praise in this neighborhood? Then aspire to preach good news. Maybe it begins with the Christmas tracts that are out on the table and the caroling outreach next Saturday. Christmas is a wonderful time to tell people good news. You may not be a missionary, you may not be a preacher, but you must preach in your own way. And you must preach good news of Jesus and his love. And also, in pointing out that these first three beats of the missionary's heart, namely an aspiration to do something for God, a desire to speak for Jesus, a recognition that the news we bear is good news, in pointing out, I say, that these three beats of the missionary's heart ought actually to beat in the heart of every Christian, I'm also trying to show you, you may not be as far away from the mission field as you thought. For some of us, the idea that we could be missionaries seems so remote. Surely I could never do what they do when they tell ourselves. But the fact is, if we're merely normal, growing Christians who aspire to tell good news to others, we're already three-quarters of the way to the mission field. We already aspire to preach good news, and now we simply need to go and do so in the fourth place, not where Christ is is already named. I aspired to preach the gospel, Paul says, not where Christ was already named. And that's really the main thing that differentiates a missionary from a pastor, a missionary from a godly elder or deacon, a missionary from a growing, mature, evangelistic layperson here in America. 
The big difference is simply that a missionary is someone who aspires to preach Jesus, just like the rest of us do, but in a place and among a people, verse 21, who have as yet had no news of him. A missionary's aspiration is to go where there are no churches or where the churches are few or weak and to proclaim Christ in a place and among a people among whom he might not otherwise be heard. And as I said, this calling, this fourth piece of it is not necessarily for everyone. We shouldn't all feel guilty for still being in America. But it is for some of us. Maybe for several of us in this room. Because in spite of all the success that Paul had, and in spite of all the other missionaries who have gone before us, there are still today over 6,000 unreached people groups in the world. 6,000 tribes and or language groups who have very little, if any, contact with the good news of Jesus. That's 40% of the world's population. 2.8 billion people live day by day with no easy access to the gospel. Very few Christians living in their culture, very few, if any, churches, many of them without even a Bible that they could go and find and read for themselves. 6,000 unreached people groups. Let me just mention three groups of people that I've mentioned before just to get some pictures in your mind. First, there are the Siwa of Egypt, 32,000 people who live in a remote crevice in the Sahara Desert that's inaccessible by plane or even by jeep. When you get there, you have to get out of whatever vehicle you've come in and walk down the ravine and into the settlement. There are no known Christians among them. There are no missionaries living with their tribe. And while someone has translated the New Testament into Siwi, their language, they have little access to it or incentive to read it. So who will go and take the gospel to the Siwa? And doesn't Jesus deserve that they should praise his name in their language? Who will take the gospel to the Afar of Ethiopia? No Ethiopian citizen is allowed to carry a weapon by national law except the nomadic Afar people. They're allowed to have them because the government is afraid to take them away. And so men in this tribe, not all men, but many men in this tribe, walk around with AK-47 slung over their shoulders. It's a warring tribe. It's often a murderous tribe. 2.4 million people, many of them roving what is called the Donakil Depression in Ethiopia, 200 feet below sea level where the daily temperature can rise up to 125 degrees Fahrenheit. But that's nothing compared to the fires of God's judgment that await sinners, is it? And yet God loves the Afar and sent his son to die so that their praise in their language might be sung around his throne. But who aspires to tell them the good news? Praise God, there are a few Christian workers attempting to reach them, including at least one Afar man who's come to Christ and now aspires to preach to his own people. But what are these few workers among so many? And who else might God be calling to go where Christ has not yet been named? And then let me take you from one of the hottest places on earth to one of the coldest. 85% of the country of Greenland is covered by glacial ice cap. 
such that nearly every one of the 57,000 inhabitants of that huge island lives on the seacoast in little towns and villages scattered round about the edge. Most of the villages have a little Lutheran church, but because of theological liberalism, many of those churches are left without the good news that we've been discussing this morning. They may proclaim morality, they may proclaim civility, as we were saying before, but many, many Greenlandic villages have no living gospel ministry, no church or pastor telling the people that there is good news for sinners. And because most of those little villages are miles apart from one another and separated by rocky and icy coastland and stretches of ocean, the result is that Many Greenlandic villages and villagers have no viable access to the gospel unless someone brings it to their own little hamlet. And who will bring it? And who will bring the gospel to the 6,000 other hamlets and cities and tribes and languages who are in the same boat as the Siwa and the Afar and the rural Greenlander, a boat in which they do not know that there's a safe harbor at the foot of the cross? I aspired, Paul says, to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named. That is the missionary heartbeat. And I pray that some of our number will begin to feel that pounding in your chest, this great desire to go and proclaim glad tidings of great joy, which will be for all the people. Is Jesus worth our undertaking the heat of the Siwa Desert or the danger of the Afar tribe or the frozen isolation of Greenland? Yes. Is he worth our enduring the jungles of Cambodia or the smog in Beijing or the spiritual coldness in France or the persecution in Afghanistan or the civil unrest in Gaza? Yes. So may it be that many of God's people would say, yes, I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named. And may it be that the rest of us would so marvel at their willingness to go at such great risk and at such great cost, and that we would so love the name and the fame of Jesus that we would open our wallets for such men and women as wide as the world around us this Christmas is opening theirs for the fleeting things of this life. May we give generously and liberally and lavishly to such a cause as preaching Christ where he is not yet named. And may we not sin by failing to pray for those brave ones whom the Lord of the harvest calls to the front lines of this great battle for human souls. I aspired to preach the gospel, Paul says, not where Christ was already named. And may we, with him, be people of great, great aspiration for the fame of Jesus Christ.